Happy Hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to this week's episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and this week, as you can tell from the title, we are going to dive into Ari Aster's Midsommar. This one is such a favorite of mine. Uh, it's kind of one of my comfort films. I've seen it very often. I'm going to try my very best to break down all of the fun anthropology type things. We're going to talk about the different runes. We're going to talk about um, Swedish culture and cults and all of those fun things. Grief, you know, all of the fun things uh, that come with this film. So I imagine it's going to be a long one. So pause, go get yourself a snack if you need, and we're just going to jump right into it because I know this one's going to be long. I'm trying to think if I have any updates. Um, sadly, there was no podcast last week. Uh, my prom night audio. I don't know what happened. Uh, I recorded everything and was editing, and about halfway through, the audio just kind of cut out. I don't know if anyone noticed that it kind of happened with Uma as well, but I'm hoping that I have fixed everything with Midsommar. Ooh, I think since the last time we chatted, the FNAF trailer, like, um teaser dropped i am so excited for that oh it's i think it's gonna be really cool and of course matthew lillard and josh hutcherson like you cannot go wrong with those two so very excited for that one i don't know if i've seen any other any other things i'm gonna start making a list note to self start making a list throughout the week of what you want to talk about on the podcast so like i said i think that this episode is going to be quite long so pause it go get a snack and let's jump in with a summary a couple traveled to Sweden to visit their friend's rural hometown for its fabled Midsummer Festival. But what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. The Rotten Tomatoes for this kind of surprised me. So the critics gave it 83, which is phenomenal, and I 100% agree. The audience score is 63. Blasphemy blasphemy i just can't i cannot believe it i do understand it's long what i will be breaking down for the scene by scene is the director's cut so it comes in at two hours and about 20 minutes i don't care i would watch a six hour midsummer of everything that they had because i'm sure there's more we haven't seen i love this movie so freaking much i do understand that it's not one of those that everybody will enjoy i love a good cult story I love when there's, you know, big history pieces involved. I love grief dynamics, relationship dynamics. You know, I'm a sucker for those types of themes. So this one kind of has everything that I love in horror. There's some good kills. There's, it's just, it's so good. I don't understand a 63. If I had to rate Midsommar out of 100, I probably would give it like a 94 or 95. And that's like me not wanting to give it 100 because I feel like I need to save my 100, I would probably watch Midsummer once a week. I freaking love it. It is up there with me with Nope and Get Out and Us. And I love Hereditary, but I think that Midsummer is just like a step below in terms of being digestible. Hereditary is so intense that that one doesn't have high reach watchability for me, but Midsummer does. Ari Aster fucking killed it. Where to watch. 
So right now, Midsummer is streaming on Showtime, or if you have like the Showtime extension with Hulu, that's how I was able to watch it. It's available to rent or buy on Apple, Amazon, and Google, kind of the normal things. Uh, I also purchased it, or I got it for Christmas, the director's cut from the A24 website. So before we jump into any big cast members, I want to talk about the director and the music for Midsummer. So of course, like I mentioned, this was written and directed by Ari Aster. Ari is an American film director and screenwriter best known for his work in horror films, including Hereditary, Midsummer, and Bo is Afraid. As a child, Aster became obsessed with horror movies, frequently renting them from local video stores. Uh, a quote from him is, I just exhausted the horror section of every video store I could find. I didn't know how to assemble people who would cooperate on something like that. I found myself just writing screenplays. In 2014, he enrolled at the College of Santa Fe, where he studied film. And after graduating in 2008, he was accepted into the 2010 class of fellows at the AFI Conservatory Graduate Program, where he earned an MFA with a focus in directing. Now the music. The music for Midsummer. Chef's Kiss. That's all I can say. It's absolutely great. I would love to get this on vinyl to add to my horror soundtrack collection of vinyl records. Midsummer was composed and scored by Bobby Krillick. Astor wrote the film while listening to British electronic musician The Hawks and Cloaks, the 2013 album Excavation. And Astor was so influenced by that album that he reached out to Bobby Krillick, who is the musician for The Hacks and Cloaks, and recruited him to compose the film's score. He began composing the music before filming began, taking inspiration from Nordic folk music and collaborating closely with Astor. The film makes use of diegetic music, where events on screen meld with the score. So that is our little music and director breakdown. So now we can jump into kind of the main cast. And we will start off with our final girl, Florence Pugh, who plays Danny Arder. Florence is an English actress born in Oxford. She made her acting debut in 2014 in the drama film The Falling. She gained recognition in 2016 for her leading role as a violent young bride in the independent drama Lady Macbeth, which won her a British Independent Film Award. After starring in the 2018 films King Lear and Outlaw King, she drew praise for her leading role in the 2018 miniseries The Little Drummer Girl. She was nominated for a BAFTA Rising Star Award that same year in 2018. Pew's international breakthrough came in 2019 with her portrayals of professional wrestler Paige in the biographical sports film Fighting With My Family, a despondent American woman in the horror film Midsummer, and Amy March in the period drama Little Women. For the last of these, she received nomination for an Academy Award and a BAFTA Award. She was awarded the Trophy Chabard at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival. In 2021, she starred as Yelena in the Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero film Black Widow and the Disney Plus miniseries Hawkeye. Next, we'll move on to Danny's boyfriend, Christian Hughes, who's played by Jack Rayner. Jack's an Irish-American actor. His notable roles include the films What Richard Did, Transformers Age of Extinction, Grassland, Macbeth, Sing Street, and Midsummer, as well as the series Strange Angel. And I found it interesting that both Jack and Florence were in retellings of Macbeth. Next, we will move on to the role of Pele, who is Christian's friend and 
is from the Horga community that everyone goes to visit. So Pele is played by Wilhelm Blumgren. Wilhelm is an actor known for Midsommar in 2019, Gosta in 2019, and The Last Letter from Your Lover in 2021. Then we'll move on to the role of Josh, who again is a friend of Christian's and a very, um, he's kind of the academic in the film, I guess you could say. And Josh is played by William Jackson Harper. He's an American actor and playwright. He is best known for his role as Chitty in The Good Place, for which he was nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. In 2022, he starred in a lead role in the comedy mystery series The Resort. Then we will move on to their other friend in the group, Mark, and Mark is the comedian. He's kind of an asshole, um, but I absolutely kind of love his character, and he is played by the wonderful Will Poulter. Will's a British actor, and he first gained recognition for his voice as Euston Scrub in the fantasy adventure films The Chronicle of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader in 2010. Poulter received further praise for his starring role in the comedy film Where the Millers in 2013, for which he won the BAFTA Rising Star Award. He also starred in the science fiction film The Maze Runner and the sequel Maze Runner The Death Cure, the periodic epic film The Revenant in 2015, in which he portrayed the legendary frontiersman Jack Bridger as a young man. He was in the crime drama film Detroit in 2017 and the interactive science fiction film Black Mirror Bandersnatch. He, of course, was in Midsommar, and in 2021, he had a leading role in the Hulu miniseries Dope Sick, for which he received an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie, and Poulter will go on to star as Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We only have four more people that we are going to chat about. Um, there's tons of people that we meet in the film, but so many of them aren't given a name. So we're just going to talk about kind of the people who are given names and our main players here. So next we're going to talk about Connie, who is also an outsider brought into the community by one of the community members who was out on their pilgrimage. And so Connie is portrayed by Alora Torchia, and she's an actress known for In the Earth in 2021, Allie and Ava in 2021, and Crisis in 2021. Then we'll move on to Connie's boyfriend slash fiance, Simon. And Simon is played by Archie Madqui. Archie is an English actor, and he was named a 2017 Screen International Star of Tomorrow. And he is best known for his roles in the Apple TV Plus series C from 2019 to 2022, and of course, Midsummer. Then we will move on to... Ingmar, who brings Connie and Simon to the community, and he is Pele's brother. Whether he's a blood relative or adopted brother, like within the community, um, I think is more on the adopted brother side in terms of what we know about the community and Pele's life. Um, but Ingmar is played by Hampus Hallberg, and he is known for Midsummer in 2019. Magnus are sexist in 2020 and the Sondheim murders in 2010. And then the last character that we are going to talk about is Maya and Maya is played by Isabel Grill. Isabel is a Swedish actress known for Midsummer in 2019, Clark in 2022 and 
Vernsush Hoskud in 2013. I hope that I'm pronouncing these things correctly. I have looked them up. Fun fact about me, I did take two terms of Swedish in college because I thought it would be fun to learn um, a second language that isn't super popular and thought, why not Swedish? Uh, you know, super random. But I took two terms of it and then I realized that if I wanted to study abroad for a full year which was a high priority for me that I needed to drop the second language and focus on getting psychology stuff out of the way so that I could like leave and and basically go away for a full year like I had wanted but that fun fact actually jumps us into our main fun facts for the film so on the last day of shooting Florence stated in an interview that on the last day she realized that she had quote, created such a sad person, and then she felt really guilty that she had created that person and left her. She explains that she had never done that before. I've always thought all of my characters, once I left, like, they're going to be fine, it's going to be okay. But when she realized that she needed to kind of hang up the hat of Danny, she realized that Danny can't fend for herself. And she felt really bad that she just had to leave Danny to go do another film when she felt like Danny wasn't wasn't ready to fend for herself on her own, which I think is so sad and really goes through what Danny's as a character had to go through in the film and her transformation and what the brainwashing and kind of the, the cult ended up doing to her, um, which is just kind of heartbreaking. So in the script, Danny and all of her friends live in New York and her parents live in Minnesota. All of the U.S. scenes, however, were filmed in Utah. Despite the film taking place entirely in sunlight, it does not contain one shot of the sun. The film's trailer contained one shot of the sun. A shot of the sun has been reinserted into the director's cut of the film. This one, I don't think I caught the first time I watched it in theaters. I saw this twice in theaters. Um, but if you pay att close attention to the meal scenes, um, except for the meat pie scene none of the horka seem to really eat anything their forks just kind of seem to to sit there nobody actually puts anything in their mouth nobody chews and um especially in the may queen feast a lot of the meat looks rotten or like it's rotting danny's surname is ardor which is latin for flame so Ari Aster's visual references for his Scandinavian folk horror are Black Narcissus from 1947, Hard to Be a God from 2013, Macbeth from 1971, and Tess from 1979. Several of the details in the movie are depictions of actual Swedish folk customs and old beliefs. The Midsummer Night was considered one of the most magical nights of the year in older Swedish culture, a night when magic and supernatural beings could more easily affect humans. Therefore, this night is connected to many different customs and traditions, originally intended to protect yourself, your family, livestock, etc. from dark magic, or to make use of good magic. Picking flowers while walking backwards is a local variation on a very common midsummer tradition. You pick seven or nine different kinds of flowers while following specific rules. The rules can vary in different parts of the country. Having to walk backwards, however, is a very common run. Having to walk backwards, however, is a very common rule, as it is having to cross seven fences and having to stay quiet during the whole procedure. The flowers are then placed under your pillow, and during the night, you supposedly dream about your future husband. 
Eating a heavily salted herring, starting from the tail, fills the same purpose as picking flowers. Herring in all shapes imaginable is also one of the traditional foods served during midsummer. Dancing around a decorated pole really is a big part of the midsummer celebration. In reality, the most widely used songs and dances are very simple and old children's music games. So we're going to talk more about the atstupa when we get there in the film, but effectively it's a myth. Um, as it's talked about in the film, the elderly were expected to sacrifice for the good of the village and maintain efficiency. However, the original source of the story is a 13th century Icelandic account, and supposedly Atstapas in Norway and Scandinavia have all been proven to have only referred to as such by 19th and 18th century historians, with no prior references to any such practices. Most serious historians consider the story a reflection of the Icelandic medieval tradition of depicting Swedes as barbarous on account of them converting to Christianity a century later than Iceland. Um, so we'll talk about all of that when we get to that in the scene by scene. But essentially, the that process has no facts to back up that it's it's a legitimate thing that was happening in history. Our next fun fact is that Mark displays an extreme phobia of ticks, which is based on Ari Aster's real-life fear of bugs and illness. Like Mark, Aster wore two pair of socks over his jeans to ensure that he would never receive bug bites. Despite the Swedish setting, the film was mostly shot in Hungary. I think that scene hurt me the most, um, because after seeing this, I had wanted to go to Sweden for a while. I didn't get a chance to make it over to Sweden when I was studying in London, um, and that's one of the places that I really wish that I would have gone. Like, I think that that's probably, I don't want to say the biggest regret that I have, but like, I, I wish really badly that I would have gotten to head over to Sweden since it's so close. So I was bummed to see that most of the, the shots were in Hungary because watching the movie makes me want to go to Sweden, but I guess that's the desired effect, right? The film was originally given an NC-17 rating by the MPAA. According to Ari Aster, around 30 minutes was cut from the final film, mainly due to content. The director's cut released shortly after its theatrical run, which restores the footage. Most of the Swedish dialogue spoken by the Horga natives is deliberately not subtitled. This is in order to create the sense of isolation for the audience, and especially for any foreign visitors. And our last fun fact is that when the film was released in Sweden, rather than eliciting fear in the audience, many people laughed. Many Swedish critics praised the film as an excellent dark comedy. Those are the fun facts we have. Um, we've met the, the cast that we're going to get to meet, and so I think that we are ready to jump into our scene-by-scene -scene breakdown. Again, any of the... Um, you know, kind of historical things that are brought up in the film. I tried to do research on. Um, I did a lot of research into the runes, which was actually really interesting. Um, and I have lots of opinions on themes and character development, uh, especially Christian in general. So without further ado, let's jump into the scene by scene breakdown. So we open with this amazing piece of artwork that essentially depicts the entire film. So we see grief depicted, death is there, someone has passed, a woman is sad, uh, she's grieving, we see someone go on a trip, and then we see all of these women dancing around a maypole, and at the end of this piece is this large heart. This art piece separates almost like it's two curtains, and then we see these snow-covered treetops. And we're just getting a lot of these 
beautiful winter cold ice landscape shots along with this beautiful folk music. Then the folk music and the peace and tranquility of the snow roughly stop and we hear a phone ringing along with these snow-covered rooftops in a town. It's dark outside, the phone continues to ring, and no one answers the call. It goes to voicemail, and we hear our main character, Danny, leave a voicemail for her parents. She was just calling to check in. She apologizes for calling so late, and she says she just wanted to make sure everything was okay as she got a scary email from Terry, who we will find out is her sister. And now her sister's not responding to her. So she was just calling to check in with her parents. And as this voicemail is playing, as Danny is leaving this voicemail, we pan around her parents' bedroom and see that they both appear to be fast asleep in their beds. We cut to Danny, and she's in her apartment. She hangs up the phone, says she loves them, and then she stands in her apartment, clearly looking worried. She sits down in front of her computer, and we see the email from her sister. It says, I can't anymore. Everything's black. Mom and Dad are coming, too. Goodbye. Danny has replied back, what's this supposed to mean? What's going on? Please call me. But of course, Danny's sister hasn't responded yet, which is why she made that call to her parents. We see Danny pick up her phone again, and we see she's tried to call her parents a couple more times and her boyfriend Christian in the last couple minutes. Uh, didn't look like Christian answered, but she decides to give him a call again. And even though we see he didn't answer the, the last time, he does this time. Danny's on the verge of tears, and Christian thankfully answers, like I said. She asks what he's up to, and he says that he's out getting pizza with his friends. And this is a call that we only see on Danny's end. We only hear Christian. We don't get to see Christian in this conversation. Danny asks if they're still going to hang out later, and he seems a little surprised. He's like, oh, did we talk about doing something? And she's like, well, not specifically, but, you know, I just, you know, wanted to see if, if you'd want to hang out and come over. He kind of pauses and he says, okay, yeah, like that should work. Danny seems relieved, but she's also on the verge of crying. We hear Christian take a breath and then he's like, how's the sister situation? A couple of tears fall and Danny says, I emailed her three times and still no response, so I don't really know. Christian's like, I'm sure it's fine. And then we find out that Terry has a pattern of doing this. And then Christian makes a comment about Danny letting her sister do this. And Danny's like, I don't let her. She's bipolar. Like, she's my sister. I can't just leave her. I can't just ignore it. And even you said this message was different than the others. And Christian's like, this is just her trying to get attention. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. But he's not being kind about it. He's acting kind of like he just wants to get her off the phone. And she's like, no, you're right. I just, you know, I just needed to be reminded. I'm very lucky to have you. And then we get this awkward pause, and Christian takes this awkward inhale. Danny says, I love you. And just based on this phone call, you can tell that their relationship is rocky. It's not super great. Christian does not seem that supportive. Um, like, even though this film, the cult is clearly the villain, but also Christian is the villain. Like, let's be honest here. Let's just be honest from the start. It's Christian. And for the record, like their deteriorating relationship, Christian's not a bad guy for wanting to leave that, but Christian is a bad guy for kind of purposely treating Danny like crap, knowing that he wants to leave the relationship and not just doing that. I'm not saying it would have been better if he had left her in her time of grief. I can't imagine being in that situation, but he could have made 
better choices to just be a little bit more of a decent person. We'll talk about those as we go through. Again, I have so many thoughts on him and the film and how he drives things with Danny and with with the Horka. It's just, yeah, he drives me nuts. Danny's now on the phone with one of her friends and she's crying and her friend's like, no, just talk to him about it. Be direct. And Danny's like, no, I feel bad. Like, what if I'm scaring him off? What if I'm pushing him away? I'm trying to lean on him. And her friend's like, that's what he's there for. You guys are in a relationship. He should be there and help support you. And Danny's like, but what if I ask too much? What if I lean too much? What if I have too much baggage? And Danny's worried that she has become a chore. And now we see Danny at her computer sending her sister yet another email, begging her sister to email her back or call her. While Danny's on the phone with her friend, she gets a call from another number, and then we cut to Christian and his friends at the pizza parlor. So we see Christian at this pizza place at the head of the table. And then to Christian's left, we see his friend Mark. And then there's two friends to Christian's right. The one closest to him is Pele, and then the one next to Pele is Josh. I'm going to try and keep all of the names straight while I do this. I apologize if I mess one up. I feel like that is something I notice so often when I'm editing later. And I realize that during one sentence, I like flipped two people's names around. I don't know if you guys catch it, but I catch it every time. So I'm going to try to be very careful to not screw up anybody's name. So they're at the pizza parlor and Christian is confiding in his friends that he wants to end the relationship again totally fair he's not a bad guy for not wanting to be in the relationship he is a bad guy for the other choices that he makes he wants to end the relationship he says he's done and he feels bad because she's going through all of these things and then he tells his friends what if i break up with her and then i regret it and i can't get her back and mark fucking mark he's like dude you don't want her back if that happens you'll be sad for a day we'll remind you you're better off and then you'll be like you're right You need to end this. You've been wanting out of this relationship for like a year. And then you can date a chick who actually likes sex, who doesn't drag you through a million hoops every day. Josh then says, do you think there's a masochistic part of you that's playing out this to avoid the work you actually need to be doing? And Christian seems a little taken aback by this. He's like, well, what work do I need to be doing, Josh? And Josh is like, I don't know, your thesis maybe? Josh explains that maybe Christian is kind of allowing these distractions because he's unsure and worried to actually focus on the big piece of thing that needs to be done for him to graduate. Like it's a welcome distraction for him. And that's why he's kind of clinging to it and not walking away from the relationship that he's unhappy in. The waitress comes to collect the bill and Mark makes a comment, you know, you could be getting girls like that pregnant and not worrying about whatever the fuck's going on with Danny. And their friend Pele pipes up and says, don't forget about all the gorgeous Swedish women that we're going to see. And we find out that the group of them are planning to go to Pele's home country of Sweden to spend part of their summer for the Swedish Midsummer Festival, which happens in July. They're planning to be there for six weeks, and they're very excited because it's coming up on the horizon. And then we see that Danny's calling Christian again. He's deciding whether or not he wants to answer. And Mark says that she needs a therapist. And then Christian's like, well, she has a therapist. And Mark's like, cool. So then she needs to call her therapist. She's literally abusing you. And it's like, Mark, that's that's not abuse. But okay. I do love him as a character. I love Will Poulter. His, com- like, his comedic timing is so good. And even though Mark is such an asshole, you can't help but chuckle a little bit with just Mark's idiocracy most of the time. And his one-liners in this are pretty good. 
Christian gets up to answer the phone and steps away from the table. And when he answers, all you hear is Danny scream crying. And you know it's not good with her family. Danny is just sobbing and screaming and saying no over and over and over. We cut back to Danny's family home. And there are firefighters in the garage. We see that both cars are running in the garage. And there were these tubes taped to the end of the exhaust. And we find out it's so absolutely horrific. Danny's sister has taken the tubes to the end of the exhaust, started the car, ran the tubing through the house, and put one of them under her parents' door and taped it so it would stay in there and basically fill their room with exhaust fumes, killing them. And then as the firemen are going up the stairs... We see that the one of the tubing, like I said, goes into the parents' room. And the other tube goes to where Danny's sister, Terry, is sitting. And she has shoved the tube in her mouth and taped it on her face. It's absolutely horrific. Just like Ari Aster, I don't understand where he comes up with these things. Like, if you've seen Hereditary, you know that shocking scene, the decapitation. You know how intense that section was um, and, and to see that. And this is very similar. I think if there's one scene that stays with me um, that I can call back to my memory so quickly, it's seeing her sister on the floor with vomit on her shirt. And one of her eyes is like glassed over and she looks gray and she's got this giant tube taped to her face. It is absolutely horrendous. But I think that that's why... It's good. It's got that shock factor that stays with I mean, I can recall that scene. I can recall most of this movie so vividly. Um, and I love that with Ari Aster's storytelling is that everything is so perfectly set up that it's so, I don't want to say pleasing to look at because, of course, there's so many horrific things that he does. But it's all shot in a way and it all goes together so well. Um Everything tells a story with him, and I love his directing style. I will. I can't wait to see. But was afraid. I know a lot of people have hated it, but I will give Ari Aster a shot every time. So we pan up from Terry on the floor, and we see the laptop is open, and we see all of Danny's email messages that have gone unread. There's this horrific music playing with all these minor strings. It's so sad. We see that Danny tried to email her four times, but of course, Terry never saw them. Now Christian is walking to Danny's apartment. It's snowing outside, and as he's walking up, we just hear Danny screaming, crying, wailing, sobbing. And I don't know if this is supposed to be like you can actually hear her that loud from the street, or if this is, you know, like what he heard on the phone kind of replaying in his ears, uh, but he hears her screaming from the street. Christian is holding Danny on the couch, looking very, very uncomfortable. And she, of course, she just had her entire life stripped from her as she knew it. She lost her entire family in one swoop and now pretty much only has Christian. And Florence just kills in this scene. Her sobs, like no matter how many times I've seen it, break my heart every single time. I do not know how she did it. I don't know how many times they filmed this scene. So I'm sure everyone has cried like that for one reason or another in their life. The amount of pain that your throat feels after 
10 to 20 minutes of crying like that, she must have had some great vocal coaches or something to be able to not shred her vocal cords while she did that. It just, it's awful. Now we get our opening credits as the snow falls out the window. And once the credits are over, we jump to what looks like early spring. The snow is gone. The sun is out. We pan to Danny's room, and she is just lying in bed with her back toward the camera. And there's this great painting above her bed by Swedish painter John Boat. I don't know if it's John Bear or John Bauer. It's uh, B-A-U-E-R. The title of the painting is called Poor Little Bear, and it depicts this younger girl kind of shrinking herself down to what looks like feed or care for this large brown bear. And I think that this really depicts Danny and Christian's relationship. If you go on any of like the Reddit threads, everyone's going to say the same thing. But Danny constantly is shrinking herself down in the film to make Christian feel better. Like there's a scene we'll talk about uh, coming up where she apologizes to Christian for something she shouldn't have had to apologize for. Like he gets upset with her because she gets upset with him. And then she apologizes for getting upset. He never once apologizes. Like, Danny constantly is making herself small and shrinking herself down to make Christian feel better and to care for him and to make him feel loved. When in reality, she's the one going through something horrendous and she should at least be attempting to make her feel a little bit better. And I understand at this point in the movie, he is one foot out the door on the relationship. He didn't want to stay, but he's staying because she lost her family, which I understand. He's trying to be a good guy. But at one point, does the effort, like staying, simply staying and doing nothing more does not earn you brownie points. That's not even the bare minimum. Like if you're not going to be helpful, then just go. Just bounce. Not helpful. Like, at one point, he did care for her as a person. He could at least attempt to put in a little bit of effort in that way instead of having this attitude where I feel like we see a lot at the beginning of, I'm here, what more do you want from me? Which is kind of how I, that's the attitude that I get from Christian at the beginning of the film. So, anyway, yeah, their their relationship dynamic as the film progresses is really very interesting because we'll see when he when they get to Sweden he kind of seems to be a little bit more kind and understanding and supportive um and I just I it interests me to see like how those changes shift I could probably do like a full podcast like 10 episodes just on this movie alone with like a episode on the relationships dynamics, a episode on grief, an episode on the mythologies and history, um, anthropology stuff, an episode on the art, an episode on the music. Like this movie has so much and I love every minute of it. So I just wanted to highlight the painting um, because I, I, one, I think it's a beautiful piece. And now that I've seen it, I want it in my own house and I'm starting to fall in love with artwork and I just want to fill my house with all of the pieces that I've seen in different movies that I love and supporting other like artists and things um and so my house is going to run out of space very quickly I feel like because I keep wanting to buy more art my office is pretty much full at the moment which is sad so now I get to decorate the downstairs with all of the different art pieces but it's called Poor Little Bear um go check it out John Bauer B-A-U-R um, and it's the, the painting hanging above Danny's bed. So back to the film. 
Danny's lying in bed, not asleep, just kind of, I think, disassociating from life, which is valid in times of grief. We hear a knock on the door, and Christian comes in and basically says, hey, there's this party. I'm going to go. I won't be gone long. Just going to step out for like an hour or two. I'll come back. We can hang out. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll come with you. Like, it might be good to get out for a little bit. And then we cut to them at this party. They're standing around. She's standing with Mark and Josh and Pele and Christian and one of their other friends who we don't get to know his name. And this is when Danny finds out that in two weeks, her boyfriend's going to be gone for six weeks going to Sweden. She seems super surprised by this. And Christian clocks this. And he's like, well, I I might not go. I probably won't go. He's really backtracking. The other guys seem shocked by him saying that he's now going to pull out of the trip. And when they get home from this party, we see this little argument take place. And I love how they start this argument because Christian comes into Danny's apartment first and sits at her desk in full view of this mirror. And then Danny comes in after him and she stays by the door. And so we only see Danny, like the shot of the camera is on Danny, but we see Christian full body in the mirror, which I just think is fun. Um, We get to see, like, his body language and things before they end up coming into the shot together. So Christian's sitting in the chair, and we see him in the mirror. And Danny's like, I wish you would have told me that you were going to Sweden. And he's like, I did tell you. I told you that I wanted to go. And she's like, yeah, you said you wanted to go, but you didn't tell me you were going. Like, wanting to do it and having a ticket are two different things, and it was just a surprise And she's like, it's fine, like, but it just seems so quick and sudden, you know, you're leaving in two weeks for six weeks, like, I wish, I wish that I would have known. And he kind of just shrugs and he's like, I'm sorry. And they're still talking about it and she's, you know, wanting to talk about it more. And he goes, well, I, like, I don't know what more you want from me, I apologized. And she's like, you didn't really apologize, you said, sorry. And, like, shrugged your shoulders. And that seems more of, like, a too bad. And this is when Christian gets upset. He's like, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to go. I should just leave. And then Danny makes herself small, like, physically as well. Uh, Grabs his hand, starts, like, you know, pulling her body down. She's like, no, come sit with me. Like, I'm sorry. Like, don't leave. It's fine. Like, it's great. Are you, you know, what are you guys going to do? Are you going to do your thesis? And she's trying to then make everything about Christian because clearly that's how Christian wants it. Danny isn't really allowed to have that kind of independence or speak her mind or talk through things because Christian then just wants to leave because he can't handle it or whatever. And poor Danny is so stuck in her grief. I think that she knows that their relationship isn't going to continue, but at this point she's so scared of losing more people close to her that she's just clinging to him because he's around. Um, which isn't fair either, and it's a shitty situation for both of them, but it's very clear that this is not going to turn out well for either of them and their relationship. So I'm assuming that this next scene is the next day or a couple days later, not really sure the timeline, but Josh, Mark, Christian, and Pele are hanging out in, I think it's supposed to be Christian and Mark's apartment, and they're talking about Sweden. Mark really wants to go to Stockholm and party and have fun. And Pele's like, nope, we don't have time. Stockholm's the opposite direction from where we're going. And 
Christian gets a text from Danny that she's at his apartment complex. So he's going to go buzz her up. And as he walks towards the door, he tells the guys that he invited Danny to come with them. And Christian's like, she's not actually going to come, but I did invite her just to not make it weird. And the guys are super awkward about it at first. And then they're like, okay, cool. No, like, that's, that's great. That's, that's fine. But like, she doesn't, she doesn't want to come. And Christian's like, I invited her. She accepted, but she's not actually coming to Sweden. I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. Like, I don't know if he thinks that she's going to back out or what's going on in Christian's mind. Um, but the, the guys do seem fairly supportive. I mean, I don't think that they would tell Christian no, and they're not going to tell Danny no with everything that she's gone through. Um, but they seem a little bit more open-minded to her going than Christian is. Like, I think Josh even says, dude, we're good. Nobody minds at all. Except for Mark. Mark seems like he might mind. But Josh is like, we're good. Josh reiterates that everything's going to be fine. Pele doesn't really... Pele doesn't really say anything, but Christian says, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You guys told me to invite her. And they're all just like, oh, okay, sure, yeah. We'll, we'll back up your awkward situation. That's fine. Danny comes in and she asks what they're up to. They say they're just hanging out, chilling. It gets really awkward. And then Josh is like, oh, so Sweden. And Danny's like, yeah, you know, it, it's okay if I come, right? If that's not like going to completely ruin your guys' plans. And they're like, no, not at all. You know, the more the merrier. Uh, Pelly and Josh are really trying. And Mark, of course, is just Mark. And he asks Christian if they can go into the bedroom and Christian can proofread whatever Mark has been writing. Christian says, yeah, that's fine. And then Mark and Christian take their leave. Danny goes to the living room and sits in the chair that Christian had been sitting in. And we see that Pele was drawing the coffee table that was in the apartment and all the stuff that was piled on top of it. We learn that he's a very talented artist. Danny and Pele start talking about surviving finals, and then Danny admits that the university gave her the semester off due to everything that was going on, so she's taking a little break, and then she's hoping to go back next year. And Danny then asks Pele how he's liking the anthropology department. We learn that all of the guys are anthropology majors, and Pele's like, I don't know if I like it as much as this one, and kind of motions to Josh. And then Pele and Danny have this, like, jokey kind of fun conversation, and he's like, uh, asks her about studying psychiatry and she's like oh no it's actually psychology that's how you know I'm nuts haha and he's like yeah and that crazy look in your eye and they both chuckle and he's trying he's trying to talk with her which is much appreciated it doesn't seem like her and Christian really talk much anymore um I think it's nice for somebody to just be trying a little bit for Danny putting in a little bit of effort I don't care what anybody says about Pele I don't care that he comes from a cult I'm a Pele stan. He's a good egg. I I love him. He's wonderful. Danny and Pele continue to talk, and Danny says that they'll actually be arriving in Sweden on her birthday. Pele says happy early birthday, and Danny explains that Christian says that they're going for a special week that's going on in Pele's hometown. And Pele explains, yeah, it's a nine-day festival. We're going to be there for special ceremonies, lots of dressing up, lots of fanfare. It'll probably seem really silly, but it's like theater. It's fun. And we learn that Pele is from a small community. And he pulls out his cell phone and shows Danny some photos. We see all these women in these white gowns, not like long Victorian gowns, but these little like white smocks, you know, kind of tea-length dresses, flowy linen vibes, that sort of deal. There's flower crowns. There's, um, you know, this specific embroidery on the dresses. 
And Pele explains we do this big festival every summer solstice. We're taught the runic alphabet. And then we see this girl who has this larger flower crown on. And he explains that she is the May Queen. And this is really interesting that I wanted to talk about. So they call this woman the May Queen. The Midsummer Festival happens in June. It happens during the summer solstice, which is in June. It's not a May thing. So if you ever want to be one of those snooty film people and someone's like, we should, it's May, we should watch Midsummer." No, actually. You can pull out the actually. You can go, actually, Midsummer is a June movie, not a May movie. In my mind, Midsummer is an anytime movie. But if you want to get technical, Midsummer is for the summer solstice, which happens in June. So feel free to uh, whip out that fun fact and tell people, well, actually, and sound like one of those snooty film people. Back to the film, Pele says that he's very excited that Danny's going to be joining them. He thinks it's great, and she's like, oh, thank you. And he's like, I never had the chance to tell you, but I was really, really sorry to hear about your loss. And Danny immediately looks like she's going to be sick. Her face gets flushed, and Pele explains that he lost his parents as well, so he kind of has an idea of what she's gone through. And she gets up very quickly, and she's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I, I just, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm, I'm sorry. And then we get one of my favorite transitions in the entire film. So she's walking up and to the bathroom in the apartment, and as she's getting ready to go through the door, we get an aerial shot of her walking into the bathroom from the apartment. But as she goes to the, th- the threshold, one second she's in the apartment, but as she passes through, she's walking through an airplane bathroom, sobbing on the airplane. It's so good. It's so smooth. I remember when I saw it in theaters for the first time, my jaw just dropped because I loved it so much. So had to had to shout out my favorite transition. Well, there are two really good transitions. That one is my favorite, but there's another really, really good one at the end that I think is just very fun. Danny finishes up crying in the bathroom and then goes back to sit by Christian. He is trying to be a little supportive. They're holding hands. He's kind of rubbing her back. And then we pan out the window of the airplane. And as we're getting closer and closer to the window, we're hearing that they are beginning their initial descent into Stockholm. We get a little bit of turbulence. And then we're in the car with the five of them on their way to Hauslingend. We learn that the drive is going to be about four hours. And Mark very loudly goes, oh, my God. And I get it. If you've been on a flight that long, the last thing you want to do is sit for another four hours in a car. But Mark is just so dramatic. We get a lot of lovely view of the countryside as they're driving. We get one of those typical horror as above, so below shots as the camera rotates upside down. We are now entering something sinister, somewhat possibly demonic. Not totally sure what we're going to find, but it's, it's pretty clear. You know, small community, middle of nowhere. It's a cult. Who doesn't love a cult? You can't go wrong with a good old cult story. Um, we get this little montage of, you know, like I said, the landscape as they're driving, all of this stuff. We see the car pull into this field, and there's all of these other people kind of waiting around. And Pele explains that this is their first stop. They're going to stay there the night, and then tomorrow they're going to walk into the village. 
Next, we get to meet some more people from Pele's community around his age who are also returning from their time away. We meet one of his really good friends, who, who he calls his brother, and this man's name is Ingmar, and Ingmar has brought two friends of his own from his travels, Connie and Simon. They're from the UK, and we find out that Connie, Simon, and Ingmar have recently taken mushrooms, and they want the rest of them, our group of five, to take mushrooms so they can have a good time and a fun night before they return to the village tomorrow. Danny at first isn't really sure if she feels up for it. She kind of wants to find her footing first, and Christian says that he'll wait for her. He's like, it's fine. I'll wait. We'll do it later. Um, and then Mark basically throws a fit, and is like, dude, no. Then we're not going to come up together, and it's going to be different trips, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Come on. Like, it'll be fine. And, and Christian's actually nice in this moment, and he's like, or you could wait for us. And then there's this pause and Danny's like, it's fine. I'm ready. Like, I'll do it. I'm ready. It's okay. I'm fine. And Christian's like, no, like, if you're not ready, it's okay. Don't let Mark peer pressure you. And she's like, no, it's fine. Like, he, you know, he's not peer pressuring me. It's okay. Like, I'm ready. And Ingmar comes up and says, we made some mushroom tea if you'd prefer that to the texture. And Danny's like, that would be, you know, that would be really nice. Yeah, I'll try that. Thank you. He goes to get her the glass of tea and then we see all of them take mushrooms. Now everyone is sitting around this small tree, our group of five, when I say everyone, our group of five is sitting around this small tree on this little hillside, and Mark is going off about how blue the sky is, and everyone seems really calm except for Mark, and Mark is talking about the sky being blue and why hasn't the sun gone down, and Pelly explains that the summer sun, you know, it's only going to get dark for maybe a few hours if it gets dark at all. Pele then says that the trees are moving. And Danny turns and we see that it looks like the trees are breathing. Uh, a new person comes to basically walk past them and Mark starts freaking out. He's like, I don't want new people right now. I can't do new people right now. And they're like, Mark, you're fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. Mark decides he wants to lay down and he wants everyone else to lay down with him. So he lays down and then he's like, why aren't you laying down? Christian, can you please lay down? Can you guys just please lay down? And he... He's so annoying, but it just makes me laugh because he's so dumb. But then Mark makes the comment that they're all a family. And this then puts Danny in a bad place. She starts having like a, what I would call a panic attack. She's having a hard time breathing, hard time catching her breath. She looks like she's trying to stop herself from crying. So she stands up and she's like, I'm, I'm just going to gonna go for a walk. I need to clear my head. And she walks away from her group. She comes down the little hillside and walks toward another group of people, and when they see her, they start laughing. She then starts freaking out and crying a little bit more. She runs into Ingmar and tells him all of those people were laughing at me, and he's like, oh no, like I don't, I don't think that's what's going on. They've been laughing. I'm sure they weren't laughing at you. Would you like to come sit down with me and my other friends? And she's like, no, no, thank you. Like I just, I, I just need to like be alone. She goes into this little outhouse, and when she puts on the light in this outhouse, we see that there's a premonition of her sister standing behind her, and it's there and gone very quickly, but this, of course, then freaks Danny out even more. She tries to compose herself in the bathroom, um, but the next thing we see is Danny running out of this outhouse and into the woods. The screen goes black, and then we see an image of her family all sitting in the living room of what looks like her parents' house watching TV. Danny then wakes up, and she's on the ground, Christian's waking her up and she asks how long she's been asleep and they say that they found her sleeping in the woods about six hours ago. She asks if it got dark and Christian says it did for a couple of hours but not completely like Pele had talked about. Danny asks if it's tomorrow and Christian chuckles and he's like I mean from yesterday's perspective yes. He helps her up and they start their trek into the village. 
we get an overhead shot of everyone walking down this path through the woods, and then they break off from this main path and go through a more heavily wooded area. We get a little montage of them walking through the woods. And I think these little montages, like the drive and this walk, are a little long, but I think that they're long on purpose to really show how disconnected this community is. As they're walking through the woods, we learn that Mark has a fear of ticks. They've been walking for a while, and Mark asks Pele, how long do I need to keep walking? And Pele says they're almost there. Mark starts then talking more about his fear of ticks, and we learn that there's actually a tick problem in Sweden. We can tell that they're getting closer to the village because we start seeing all of these yellow flowers on the ground. That is basically a path leading to the village. And they get there, and they walk under this really cool archway that is designed as a large sun. The imagery in this is awesome. The set design in this film is so phenomenal. And they have arrived in Horka. And Pele says, this is my family. And we see all of these other members of the Horka come up and collect everyone's bags. And they also give everyone this string that has a bunch of strawberries on it, which is nice. Pele starts introducing them to a couple of his close family members. We meet Father Odd, and him and Pele hug each other very large, very intensely. And it, it, I would assume that this is a father figure for Pele. They speak in Swedish. And again, this is one of the times that we don't get to see the translation. Pele starts introducing Father Odd to everyone, and this man shakes everyone's hand except for Danny's. He gives Danny a very large hug, and he tells everyone welcome, again, except for Danny. He tells Danny, welcome home. Danny comments that she loves what he's wearing, and he's in this big white frock with this belt and this sun hat, and he's like, it's a bit girly, but it's nice. And then Father Odd explains that you're our guest, so let us know if you need anything, and we'll try to accommodate and then he further explains that today is mainly preparation and tomorrow the official ceremonies begin. And he welcomes them to their home, essentially, and then he walks away to go chat with other people. Everyone starts nibbling on the strawberries they've been given. And from a distance, we hear drumming and music. And then everyone kind of turns their attention to where this is coming from. We get a view of the land and there's this really interesting set of buildings. Just the set design in this, like I said, I just keep mentioning it because it's so good. And in the distance, I loved because um, I noticed, I think on my second or third watch, you can see a German shepherd in the distance, uh, which I just find really interesting. And I don't think that we ever see this dog again. So I'm not really sure what it's used for. I'm guessing like protection or maybe hunting small creatures like rabbits and those types of things. But I have German shepherds. So when I noticed that at that time, I got very excited. Um, but now everyone is gathering around the stage area. And we see what looks to be a giant maypole in the distance, and everything is surrounded by lush green mountains. Someone starts speaking Swedish, and we learn that this woman is Siv. So Siv is the matriarch and the officiant of this Swedish commune of the Horga. And she wears the rune Anzus, which is embroidered on her dress. And this is kind of that, like, slanted down F. And this rune is associated with leadership, divine power, and wisdom, indicating Siv's status in the clan. Josh asks if he can take photographs, and Pele says discreetly, and then the woman says, oh, I'm sorry. So she's been talking in Swedish this whole time, and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that not everyone here speaks Swedish. Welcome to the Horka Summer Mid Festival. She explains the last time they had a festival this big was 90 years ago, and they won't have another one this big for another 90 years. And that this so far has been the hottest and brightest summer on record. She says we have so much to give back, and so without further ado, let's raise our glasses and let our nine-day feast commence. And we see that on the stage there are these ten little stools that people are sitting on. Everyone raises the glasses that they have been given and, dr and drinks to toast to the festival starting. 
Then we see this person is finger painting and then we cut back to the stage and Siv is lighting this elderly woman's torch and says, hi, my fire, no higher, no hotter. And then she walks across the stage and does the same to this elderly man. She says this in Swedish. She yells, spirits back to the dead. And then we cut to what looks like a washroom and we meet Maya, who we've not fully met yet, but this is Maya. She's doing her hair in the bathroom, kind of getting ready for the festival. She does this inhale, exhale that we see throughout the movie multiple times. And as she exits the washroom, we see this rune marking on the door as she exits. And then we realize that she's exiting that main large building. She comes out and sees all the festivities. People are dancing. We see that Connie, Simon, Ingmar, and our group of five are all sitting, having a good drink, chit-chatting. Simon is coming back from getting him and Connie something to drink, and Christian wants to join in the dancing. And he asks Pele if that's possible, and Pele makes the best comment. He's like, you're American. Just throw yourself in there. Do whatever you want. And that, that's what people think of us, which is sad in terms of traveling. And as this line dancing goes past the group, we see Maya kind of kick Christian in the side to kind of entice him to come along. Christian and Josh go join the dancing. Pele is sitting by Danny and he gets her attention and then he gives her a drawing that he's done of her and tells her happy birthday. She's shocked. It's a really great drawing. And she's like, this is amazing. Thank you. And he's like, it's just something I do special for birthdays. Um, I hope it's not too much. And she's like, no, it's beautiful. Um, and then we find out that Christian forgot that it was Danny's birthday. Pele looks really awkward. He's like, oh, I, you know, I don't really know what to say. And she's like, no, 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 it's, it's not his fault. I forgot to remind him, but this is beautiful. It's awesome. I love it. And he seems very happy with her compliment. So the drawing has Danny's face. And then there's two runes in the bottom right-hand corner. And they're inverted in my research. I found out that they've been inverted. So the... Backwards R is radio, and it's used in its regular form to mean travel, journey, or reunion, but in its inverse, it suggests crisis or death. But as the case with um, Danny, it's you know obviously up to interpretation. It could be either, um, and it also in the inverse could mean that you're being rerouted on your journey, which is what it could be. And then the second one that we see is Thagus, and this one is like flipped on its side. And so normally it means awakening dawn or new beginnings. And most interpretations of this rune are positive. But because of the symmetry, some people say that when the rune does not have an inverse meaning, um, it could mean hopeless. And so because they're both inversed, people who understand, you know, and know the association behind the runes see that these mean grief for Danny. Now it's later and they're all walking around the grounds. Josh asks how they support the place and Pele says lumbering, linen, homeopathics, water, power plant. And Pele points out that a bunch of children are in the middle of school over there. They're carving ruins and Christian asks about that and Pele says that they put the runes under their pillow and dream about its powers. And then we see this very, very large stone with a very large rune on it. We don't really get to see this one up close, so I didn't get a chance to try and break it down. But Connie asks Danny and Christian how long they've been together, and Christian says three and a half years. And Danny's like, nope, it's been four years and two weeks. 
And he's like, oh gosh, you're right. Yep, I'm sorry. It's been four years. And there's, it's a really awkward moment. And we learn that Connie and Simon are actually engaged. And Ingmar explains that him and Connie were dating when she met Simon. And Connie's like, no, uh, we were on a date and I didn't really know it was a date. And he's like, no, 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 you're right. I just meant that we had decided to be friends just before you and Simon started to date. Which is like, that's not what you said, but okay. Everyone says congratulations when they find out that Connie and Simon are engaged. Simon makes a joke that they're actually going to have Ingmar officiate the wedding. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, seriously? And he's like, no. And then everyone laughs. In the distance, Christian points out this very large triangular building that's fully painted yellow. It's probably one of the more well-known images from the film is the yellow house or the yellow building. And Christian asks what it is. And Pele kind of awkwardly answers, oh, it's a like sacred temple. So that's kind of what I'm going to call it from now on, the sacred yellow temple. We see that the two groups are kind of splitting off our group of five and then Ingmar, Connie, and Simon. Our group of five are kind of going back to the sleep house and Ingmar, Connie, and Simon are walking uh, kind of more toward camera. And as our five is walking away, the camera pans over and we see there's this large cage with a bear in it, like just a full brown bear. And Simon's like, are we just going to ignore the bear? And Ingmar just looks at him and goes, it's a bear. And that's the last we hear about the bear until the end of the film. Connie then sees something and asks what it is. And Ingmar says, we can check it out. Um, And we walk over closer to what she had seen. And it is a piece of folk art depicting a love story. We see all these different flashes of what's going on in the story. So a girl sees a guy. She wants to get him to fall in love with her. So she then cuts off her pubic hair, puts it in his food, and then puts her menstrual blood in his drink and has him eat and drink this, which will cause him to fall in love with her. And the last image in this set of, I think they're paintings or drawings, is these two people happily together and the woman is pregnant, which is a foreshadow to what will happen later. Our group of five are now heading into the big building like I had talked about where everyone is sleeping. And there's tons of drawings, much like this folk drawing that we just saw on the wall. And one of the main runes that we see in the building, in the sleep house, is the Othal. And it's the most common rune that you see in Midsummer due to its association with familial groups and inheritance. And so a lot of people interpret the Othal being used to refer to evil traditions being passed down for hundreds of years among the Swedish cultists in the name of protecting their family. Uh, The ruin appears on many of the panels in the Swedes boarding house, as well as in the arrangement of the dining table that we'll see later in the film. And it also may refer to literal inheritance of land or other property, but it's often more about intangible things we inherit from our family of origin for better or for worse. So like I said, this is a sleep room. It's basically one large room and there's beds all along the interior wall on the bottom floor. And then there's a top floor that has the same number of beds around the second floor as well. It's really cool. All the walls are decorated in the drawings that we saw. And Pele says that everyone from zero to 36 sleeps there. And Josh asks why 36. And Pele says, we like to think of ages like seasons. So from zero to 18 is spring. 18 to 36, you go on your pilgrimage at some point in that summer. 36 to 54 is fall when you work. And 54 to 72, you become a mentor and that's winter. And Danny jokingly turns her head and is like, what happens at 72? And Pele jokingly runs his hand across his neck, you know, like death. 
everyone kind of chuckles. Mark comments that there's a lot of dicks on the wall, which there is. You see a lot of dicks in this movie, especially in the paintings. And as Danny's walking around, we see Pele pull Christian aside. Danny walks over to one of the walls and sees all the images and photos of past Macreens. We see Christian and Pele talking, and it's clear Pele has told Christian that, hey, you didn't hear it from me, but you forgot Danny's birthday. Christian seems super bummed that he forgot, and Pele goes over to talk about the May Queens with Josh and Danny. And then and then one of the Horga women comes over and tells the group that they're going to watch Austin Powers in one of the recreation buildings if they'd like to, to join. She then goes to leave, and Mark and her seem to kind of have this little moment, and he gets very excited and wants to know who she is. And as Mark's trying to get information about this woman from... Pele, Christian asks Danny if he can steal her for a moment outside. And as they go outside, there are these five women all standing around rocking one baby. Like one woman has the baby in her arms, but they're all swaying together, which is very interesting. It feels very intimate and intense, and it, it feels like we're crashing that moment by having Christian and Danny come into shot. It's very interesting. Uh, Danny's just clearly distracted by it, and Christian pulls out this little cake with a candle on it and starts singing happy birthday. Um, he can't get the candle to light, which is awkward, and Danny's like, stop, it's fine, it's okay. And he's like, no, it's not fine. Like, you, you didn't think I forget, did you? And then she just kind of looks at him, and he's like, I'm sorry. I The time change, I thought today's yesterday, so I, like, I thought it was tomorrow. Um, you know, Jenna trying to come up with an excuse traveling i get it if he's not traveled internationally before that time change can be a real b word like she's like i'm not upset it's fine and he's like you should be upset and she's like you're right i should be but i'm not he says happy birthday things seem okay and he finally gets the candle to light and she's able to blow out the candle and this is the second time that we see the of the breath now it's evening, everyone is turning in for the night, and we see that there's a child's crib in the corner, and this woman goes over and she puts a pair of scissors underneath the baby's pillow. Danny catches this and seems curious about it, but we will find out later kind of the symbolism for the scissors under the pillow. Pele says that they should get some rest because tomorrow's a big day, and Josh asks what's going to happen, and Pele just kind of looks at him, and it seems like he's trying to decide if he's going to tell Josh what's going on, and he looks at Josh, and then... He says, Astupa. And Josh is like, are you serious? And Christian doesn't know what he's talking about, neither does Danny, and Josh isn't going to explain it to Christian or Danny. But Josh looks shocked, to say the least. Um, so I'm going to just go through what the Astupa is. Um, so it's a nickname given to a number of like cliff areas in Sweden. The name supposedly denotes sites where ritual senicides took place during pagan Nordic prehistoric times, whereby elderly people threw themselves or were thrown to their deaths. According to legend, this was done when old people were unable to support themselves or assist in a household. Senicide is the practice of killing the elderly or abandoning them to death, typically in times of great need. So like I said at the beginning, there's no historical evidence that any of the places that are considered estopa were actually used for senicide. So that is a very clear foreshadow. I don't think many people would know what that is based on hearing it in the movie, so it's, it's not going to do the audience much good to know what's coming, but it, it's a very significant foreshadow to what's coming up. So Danny wakes in the middle of the night, 
The child is crying. She sits up in bed and looks around at all the artwork that's depicted. And we see that there's this little image of someone cutting their hand with a knife in the sunshine with two people standing next to this person and these large sunflowers. We never get that ceremony depiction for what that actually is for. Um, But now it's the next day. Everyone is doing their morning chores. We see children running around. It looks as though a group of people are doing some type of morning meditation or yoga practice. Dana's kind of standing there watching all of this happen. And then everyone comes to these large tables to have breakfast. And these tables are right in front or a little ways in front of the yellow temple that we saw earlier. Everyone is standing at their seats at the table, and Mark asks how long they're supposed to stand, and Pele says that we stand until it's the right time to sit. It's a great answer. Christian comes over, and he has this little bouquet of flowers that he picked for Danny, and she's like, oh, did you pick them backwards? As this scene was starting, we see a group of women picking flowers backwards, and he's like, yep, that's exactly what I did. And now everyone is at the table. We see a young boy walk over to a bell and ring it, and next we see these two elderly people, the two people who were given the torches yesterday at the stage, they are walking out of the yellow temple. They go to kinds of the heads of the table, and during this time, everything is quiet. There's no nature sounds, nobody's talking. It's a really good moment of silence. The two Horka members sit down, and this is when everyone else is able to sit. Josh leans over to Pele and asks, are those the ones that are going to, you know, be essentially sacrificed today? And Pele says yes. Everyone starts eating their breakfast, but of course he says, I can't remember exactly how he says it, but he says it in a way that no one else is going to know. I don't know if he says, like, are those are those two for the itstupa? Um, he says something like that, so of course then still nobody understands what's happening. Everyone starts eating their breakfast, and Mark says he's really hungry, and then he ends up making eyes with the girl that he saw yesterday afternoon. They share a couple little glances, and then we see Maya sitting at her chair, and she's doing a rune carving like we had seen the children do the day prior. And we see Danny talking with this woman who's caring for the very young infant that we saw the previous night, and we learned that The baby's mother is on a pilgrimage and the scissors help her to detach. So the, like you put the runes under the pillow to dream about the powers, placing the scissors under a baby's pillow will help cut or detach the child's connection to the parent since the baby's mother is away on their pilgrimage. Now we see the two elderly people stand up and speak in Swedish. It sounds like they're doing this little chant. And again, this is a time that we don't get the translation. They finish the little chant and the two of them look at one another And then Siv stands and raises her glass. Everyone else stands and raises their glasses, and no one drinks until the two elders drink. And it's interesting because everyone else in the film, aside from the the outsiders, are wearing white. But the two elderly people are in, like, a darker blue color. And that blue is pretty much their entire clothing. And then there's another group of people who are in that same blue color, and these are the people that are going to be assisting the elderly couple to the top of the estupa. So the elderly couple sit back in their chairs, and this group of people, like I talked about, they attach the rods to the chairs and then proceed to carry the two elderly people to the estupa. Everyone is now following them, and of course none of the outsiders aside from Josh know what they're walking to. They follow along, and next we are at the base of this little cliff area. 
we see this large man holding this huge mallet. Looks like he's like a croquet type mallet, but for a giant. And everyone is looking up at the top of this cliff. We pan over the crowd. Everyone seems like they're just ready and waiting. Christian and Danny, of course, have no idea what's going on. Neither do Connie and Simon. And now we're on top of the cliff with the two elders and, and the people who are carrying them up. And we see that there are quite a few runes, like those large rocks like we had seen, Josh had seen that we didn't get a chance to really look at. Um, but these two, or these many large rocks with runes on it at the top of this cliff. We hear this horn sound that kind of signals, I'm guessing, the start of the process. And Josh steps away from Danny and Christian and gets a little bit closer to Pele, who is a little bit separate from them. And Josh wants to ask what the book that Siv is reading from is. And Pele says, it's the Ruby Router, it's our scripture. And Josh asks if he can read it, and Pele says that would not be possible. The elders would, I would be surprised if they would approve that. And then once Siv has finished reading from this book, she turns around and looks up at the cliff with everyone else. On top of the cliff, we see that both elders have cut their hands with knives, like across their palms, and then they go and they put their blood up against the ruins and slide their hands down. And this whole scene is so cult-like. So the rune stone that we see is an example of a bound ruin. So it contains two ruins. So this like X ruin, which means gift, presumably in the context of sacrifice here, and then this other one that looks like a little bracket, and this is a secret ritual ruin. So in the middle of the stones is the radio rune, which we discussed already. And then what's forked at the top is the Olga's ruin, but shown in reverse with the prongs pointing down instead of up. So right side up, the Olga's ruin suggests protection from evil or danger, but the opposite idea of that, since it's in reverse, would basically be possibly a welcoming of evil. Danny's looking a little bit nervous and she's not really sure what's happening. She looks up and we see that there's part of the cliff that kind of jets out almost like a like a diving platform. And we see the woman standing on the edge of the cliff. She sees all the people while she's looking down and she raises one of her arms to the sky and she holds that pose for a moment and we see Danny's breathing pretty heavily and it looks as though the woman is looking down directly at Danny. And then the woman spreads her arms and lets herself free fall face first from the platform to this very large flat rock below. She makes impact with the rock and we get a very quick second, it's a very quick shot, but we get her basically bouncing off of this flat rock on the bottom. Her face is covered in blood. Her skull has been crushed in. It's pretty freaking gnarly. Everything goes silent. We see these crows fly off in the distance. Very quickly, Danny has grabbed Christian's wrist and looks like she's going to be sick. Simon and Connie start freaking out. Ingmar's trying to tell them it's fine. They don't understand what's happening. Ingmar says it's part of the ceremony. It's okay. He's trying to calm them both down. But of course, valid, Simon and Connie are freaking out. We get a close-up of the woman's face, which is now completely unrecognizable. As she, her skull is basically imploded in on itself. I would imagine it was a pretty instant death. Now Danny looks back up the platform and we see the man's doing the same thing. He does a different pose. He holds it for a moment. Simon's trying to yell at him from the bottom not to jump. Please, sir, you don't have to do this. Don't jump. Don't do it. Simon and Connie are freaking out. And this man, instead of going face first like the woman does, he goes feet first 
goes feet first. He doesn't die. He hits the ground and breaks his legs and most likely his back. But he's alive. And it's awful. His We see his leg. It is shredded. It is nasty. He starts screaming and everyone else starts screaming. And this is a theme that we see throughout the film. We saw it first with the women who are all rocking the baby. Um, and the first time I watched it, I don't think it fully clicked in my head what was going on. But I, I think this is the Jorka's way of empathizing with people who are going through something. And I don't want to say like always in pain because the, we see this happen at other times where it's not just pain. But I think it's supposed to be the Jorka saying, I'm feeling what you're feeling. I'm with you through this time and in this moment, which at first I thought was really interesting. I think it's kind of beautiful if that's what it's supposed to be. Like everyone else in the community is screaming in pain like they have also broken their legs and their back. But they have smiles on their face. And so I think that in that tight-knit community, like it's and it's painful anytime to see or the ones that you love and care about in pain and in grief. That in itself is hard. And so I think that that's what I get from it anyway, which I think is kind of beautiful and also terrifying um, because we see it and, and we see throughout the film when these things happen and the rest of the Horka are just screaming bloody murder, but they have smiles on their faces. It makes it look so scary, but I think in their heads and of course, because, you know, they're cut off from the rest of the world, they don't see it of course, in in the way that we see it. It's a cult. Like, that's that's their community, and that's how they show support to each other in times of need, which I find kind of beautiful. In a a creepy cult way, you know? (laughs) But now we get to know what the mallet is for. So there's a couple of people in the crowd who have these little blue sashes on, and they walk up with the mallet, and they each take turns hitting this man in the face with the mallet to ensure that he dies. As Danny's watching this, she looks as though she's going to be sick. She's trying to disconnect from what's going on, but as she's watching these people taking turns bashing this man's skull in, it's very clearly too much for her, as it would be for anyone who's not used to this sort of practice. I mean, even Josh, who knew what this was going to be, looks worried and unnerved and like he might be sick. Connie and Simon are freaking out. They say that they want to leave, and Siv comes up and tries to talk to them, and she's like, this is a beautiful thing. It's a long-observed custom, and Simon's yelling. He's freaking out, and Siv's like, these two reached the end of their Harga life cycle. You need to understand, it is great joy for them, and when it's my turn, it will be great joy for me. Life is a circle, and we recycle things here. The lady who jumped, her name is going to be given to that unborn child who's going to be born soon. We recycle. We take that independence in our own lives. And instead of dying in pain and fear and shame, we reclaim that and turn it into something joyous. It's a gesture. And I, again, I'm not saying it's great, but they do sell it in a beautiful way, as fucked up as it is. Everyone's walking back to the village now. Christian tries to check on Danny, and she's like, I really just need to not be here right now. She's trying not to cry. And have you ever been in that situation? Like, that's that's a terrible situation to be in, where you're going through something, but you don't feel comfortable enough to cry. Like, you're either with people you don't know, you're with too many people, you're in a crowded area. It sucks. I, that hits, this scene hits me hard because I've been there. Um, when I was studying abroad in London, I got a message from my my mom that my aunt 
had been murdered. Um, and long story short, I woke up early in the morning. I saw that message. I thought it was a nightmare. Um, so I went about my day. We were taking a field trip as a group to Scotland with school. Um, I had already done that trip before the semester prior. So I, in my head, kept telling myself, this is, this is just a really weird, bad dream. You're going to wake up at some point. Everything's going to be fine. So I collected my stuff. I left my host family. Um, I went to the train station and got on the train to Scotland. It's a four-hour ride to Scotland from London. And about halfway through, it kind of hit me that, yeah, I don't think I'm waking up. Like, I, I think it finally had hit me like three and a half hours later. And all I wanted to do was cry in that moment. But I was in a full train with people I had only known for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And I remember thinking, if I start crying now, like, I'm going to have to explain that now I'm crying, even though I knew this four hours ago. And, like, why did I decide to come to Scotland? And, like, all of these different things. And I didn't have those answers. I didn't, I didn't know. And so I remember sitting with the people, like, in the small group that I was in. And I was trying not to cry. And I was like, I need to I need to tell you guys something very serious. Um, and I just tried to be as honest as possible. I was like, I got this message. I I thought it I thought it was I thought it I thought it was a bad dream. Um, and they were super comforting. They like tried their best throughout the weekend that we were there checking in with me. I had a, a full breakdown in one of the museums in Scotland because everything I saw was just reminding me of my aunt. And I remember I was sitting on this bench outside just like the ugliest crying because I just couldn't hold it back anymore. Um, and these two guys on my my group, they were the loveliest people. Uh, Shane, Eric, John came up and like saw me and they just, they just hugged me. They didn't say anything. They knew, you know, I had told them kind of what was going on um, when we got to Scotland and they knew and they just, they just shielded me from people passing um, and just held me while I, ugly ugly cried um on a sidewalk in scotland and so shout out to those two because that was a really difficult weekend for me so i this scene makes me really sad because i totally get where danny's coming from she is walking trying to find a place where she feels safe enough to cry and break down and have all those feelings um and she's in an unknown place she's with people she doesn't know and that really fucking sucks so we see Danny walking toward camera, trying not to cry. And then finally, I think she's away from enough people. She just sinks to the ground and starts crying. And it's so sad. It's just heartbreaking. We cut to Christian talking with Josh, and they go into the main sleep building, and Christian checks on Josh. He's like, hey, are, are you good? Josh says he's fine, and then Christian tells him that he's decided he'd like to do his thesis on the Horka community. And Josh just sits there blinking, like, dumbfounded. He's like, I can't tell if you're joking or not. And Josh is like, you know that that's why I'm here, like, to do my thesis on this. And Christian, for his reasoning for basically stealing Josh's subject, is, but you're going to other places. You're going to, like, London and some other place after this to do, like, Midsummer as a whole, where I want to do my thesis just on the Horka. And Josh is like, this is ridiculous, like, those are just excuses. You know exactly what you're doing. This is really frustrating. And the two of them start arguing. And Josh is like, I've been working on this for years. You know exactly what you're doing. This is unethical. It's leechy. And frankly, it's kind of sad. 
and Josh tells him to find his own passion. He's like, this isn't a glorified hobby for me. Like, I'm very passionate about this subject. I've been researching this for years. And Christian's like, I'm doing my thesis here. We can collaborate if you want to, but I'm doing it. And I just thought I should tell you. And Josh is rightfully so pissed. Christian goes out of the building and Mark comes up and he's like, dude, seriously, of all the things to let me sleep through, it's like, Mark, this isn't about you. Nothing here is, none of this is about you. He's so insensitive. I, he drives me nuts, but I love him at the same time. Not love him as like, not like my love for Pele. My love for Pele is different. My love for Mark is just that in all the fucked up times, he's that comedic relief, which is needed in a movie like this. Uh, we also see that now Connie and Simon are talking about how they're going to leave tomorrow and they're getting the fuck out of here. Next, we see Josh talking with Pele and Josh is like, you know, this is why I'm here. Please don't let Christian do this. Like, please don't let him write his thesis about this. Please don't give him the authorization. And Pele is like, wait, I don't think that that's going to happen. Like, none of the elders are going to let either of you do stuff in depth. They're not going to be okay with you guys using names and locations. Like, you know those things would be changed and then you can't get your article peer reviewed like it's going to be unofficial and we kind of catch Pele in a little bit of a lie because he says he's not talked to Christian yet and then as Josh is talking with him about this Pele says I told Christian the same thing and Josh is like wait I thought you hadn't talked to him and Pele's like fuck damn okay you know I let me I'll talk to the elders I'll see what I can do but I can't promise anything. And Josh is like, okay, thank you. Like, I understand. And Pele goes to basically advocate for the two of them to do their thesis here. Next, we see Danny in the building, and she looks to be packing up her stuff. Pele comes in and goes to talk to her, and she's still crying. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but I need to go. Like, I'm not trying to be rude. And he tries to talk to her. He's like, I should have told you you shouldn't go to that. Like, I should have told you not to go. And she just breaks down and starts crying. And she keeps saying, I don't know why I'm here, Pele. I don't know what's happening and I don't know why I'm here. Like, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm not into anthropology. Like I, like, I don't know why you invited me. Like, what's going on? And he's like, I invited you because you're my friend. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing and I wanted to share it, especially with my friends who I knew would appreciate it. And because I'm proud of this place. And she's like, I don't understand any of this. Like, I'm not an anthropologist. And he's like, I know. And I was most excited for you to come. And then he pulls something out of his pocket and tells her to smell it. And she's like, what is it? And he doesn't tell her. He just says, it will calm you down. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't want it. And then he tells her he knows what she's going through. He's like, I lost my parents and I understand what's going on. And then Danny starts crying even harder. And she's like, I'm not talking about that. I don't want to talk about my family. I, I don't understand what I just saw. And then we hear Pele say that his parents burned up in a fire and that's how he lost them. And clearly, like, this scene is so uncomfortable because they're both just talking and rambles. He's trying to get her to calm down, and she's so wound up, which, is, of course, is totally valid. She's every right to be upset and crying and confused and worried and scared. And all of those emotions, it's very overwhelming in a place that you're not comfortable in. Pele explains, I know what it feels like. I really do. I basically became an orphan after they died, and he tells her that he never got the chance to feel lost because he had a family here. Everyone embraced him and swept me up. I was raised by a community that doesn't bicker over what's theirs and what's not and what you were given and what you're not. I've always felt held. And Danny's finally starting to calm down. She stopped crying and they just look at each other and he says, I was held by my family, a real family, which everyone deserves. I 
you deserve. And the camera pans down. We see they're holding hands. Uh, I, You know, I, I'm going to say it. I would be, Pele could rope me into a cult. I I would fall for it. I just, uh, God damn it. There's a scene. I'm just like, he's being so kind and helpful. And they're holding hands. And he's trying to be nice and, like, relate to her and calm her down. And he's just... He's just a sweet little bean. Oh, good lord. Yeah, I would uh I would I would fall victim, I think, sadly. So they're holding hands and Danny's like, please, like this and Pele cuts her off. And he's like, This is exactly what I'm talking about. Christian's a good friend and I like him, but do you feel held by him? Which is just such a great question. And then he's like, Does he feel like home to you? And then we cut away from this very intimate scene between the two of them. Um, not intimate in terms of like they were, I don't think that they were going to kiss or anything. Because um, I don't think Danny would cross that line. But, you know, it was an intense scene, you know, that, that they were sharing. And so we cut from that very kind of sweet scene to uh, watching both of the elders that are all busted up being put over a fire and burned while everyone in the community watches. And Ari asked, I mean, that's Ari Aster for you, like the shock factor of this intimate scene between Danny and Pele, and Pele basically confessing his feelings for Danny and essentially saying, like, I can, I can, I can do it better. Like, I can be better than Christian. Um, but in, like, a very sweet, like, unthreatening way. Um, and then we see these bloodied, dismembered faces. Fucking drives me nuts, but I also love it. We cut to Danny sitting in the grass, and she seems to be meditating or thinking or, you know, whatever you want to call that. Christian comes up to check on her, and he asks if she's going to be okay, and she's like, are you not disturbed by what happened today? And he's like, of course, it's really shocking, but I'm trying to keep an open mind. You know, it's cultural. We stick our elders in nursing homes, and I'm sure that they would find that disturbing. And then Christian says, I think we need to try and acclimate. It's, it's really interesting to see this dynamic change with Christian because, before, I feel like he was being a lot kinder to Danny once they got to Sweden. You know, he was going to wait to do the mushrooms, and he was trying to make her not feel peer pressured, and I felt like he was being supportive. And then as soon as he decides that he's going to do his thesis on the Horka, it almost seems like he gets this superiority complex, and he feels like he can act kind of like a jackass, and like treat Josh like crap, steals his ideas, and then he also just starts talking in a very academic sense of like, well, we should acclimate, and this is their culture. And it's like, I get that, but to a point, like, we just saw two people die? Like, that's not, that's not the same thing. Danny comes into the sleeping room and asks Josh if she can borrow one of his sleeping pills. He says, sure, and then we cut to everyone sleeping. But it looks as though the four people that we are traveling with besides Danny are gone. Like Josh, Christian, Mark, their beds are gone, empty. Danny wakes up and we see all of them sneaking out of the building with all of their bags and they're just leaving. Danny quickly puts on her shoes and goes outside to see what the hell's going on. And when she walks outside, we see a car drive by with all of them inside of it. All of the exhaust is coming out of the car and we realize that this is a nightmare Danny's having. It's super eerie. We see these emergency service lights flashing, and as the car drives away, it basically gets consumed in exhaust. Danny tries to t- yell at the car to wait, and when she opens her mouth to yell, the only thing that's coming out of her mouth is exhaust. We see the image of her parents and her sister at the bottom of the cliff, and now it's morning. 
Danny's still asleep. Everyone is where they're supposed to be. And sometimes sleeping pills are not helpful, sadly. We see Maya sitting up in bed, clutching a ruin, watching Christian sleep, and she's very intense about it. And we see the ruin that she's carved, and it's a love ruin from the elder Futark called Wunjo, also known as Win in the Anglo-Saxon ruin poem. Wunjo encompasses the feelings of bliss that a person has when surrounded by people they love. It encompasses community, love, friendship, and a happy home. When we are surrounded by joy, bliss, and the people we love, it's easier to forget our sorrows. So this rune cannot remove pain, but it reminds us that we don't have to face the world alone. Our burdens can be carried by those we love, and their burdens can become ours. So kind of like I would have like what Pele was saying with, I felt held by them and they held me. And what I was saying with the community wanting to empathize with the feelings that other people are going to, it, their burdens can become ours in terms of everyone screaming when that guy broke his legs and broke his back. Maya gets out of bed and carefully and quietly crosses the room to put the rune that she's carved under Christian's bed. And as she's doing this, we zoom in on Josh a little bit and notice that he's not fully sleeping, and he was able to see this happen. Next, it's morning, and we see everyone is up doing chores, doing the normal stuff. We see a group of people collect ashes from where they burned the bodies, and we see this large tree that looks as if it's fallen down, and they're putting the ashes at, like, the tree stump area. We see Pele working in the garden. Mark goes up to him, and Josh is also with Mark, and they ask Pele what he's doing, and he's like, I'm just working in the garden. And it's really interesting because I feel like if you're going to acclimate with a different culture, I would be, like, offering to do chores. Maybe they did, and the Horka just said, no, you're our guest, so you're not doing anything. But, like, I'd go work in the garden. I feel like I'm not a great cook, so probably helping the gals in the kitchen maybe wouldn't be great. But I'd spend time in the garden. I'd go brush the cows. Um, I'd try to milk them. I don't know. Like, I'd give it a shot. Why not? Like, I'd, I would try to, to do stuff. It seems like Mark is just drinking, not doing anything. And if I, if I find it odd that Josh doesn't seem to be uh, trying to get involved in anything, and maybe that's just an anthropology thing, maybe that's a, you know, best observed and not participated in, um, but I find it odd that Josh doesn't seem more willing to help out and learn in that way, in kind of a hands-on way. Anyway, Josh and Pele talk, and Pele says, I talked to the elders and you can write your stuff, but everything needs to be an alias. You can't reveal our location, no names, and you have to share the information with Christian. You guys have to work together. Josh says, okay, that's fine. They'll figure it out. And then Josh pulls the rune out of his pocket and asks Pele what it is. Pele explains that it's a love rune. And at this point, Christian is walking up and Josh explains that it was found under Christian's bed or Maya has placed it under Christian's bed. Pele tells Christian the good news that they can do their theses on the Horka, and Christian's super excited. He's like, dude, thank you so much. He gives Pele a big hug, and it just, it's super odd. He's super chill, like buddy-buddy with Pele now. It's not that those two are on bad terms, but again, I feel like Christian gets really manipulative once he realizes that he wants to do his thesis on this, and so I feel like his, oh my god, thank you so much, like big hug, I don't I don't see that as genuine. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just a Christian hater. I just don't like it. And again, these are all my opinions. If you disagree, 100% fine. If you like Christian, if you think Christian's more of a victim than I think he is, that's fair. He just, I don't, 
I'm not a fan. Not a fan. It just doesn't feel authentic to me. Pele then tells Christian that Maya has taken an interest in him, and we learn that Maya has recently been approved to finally have sex, and apparently you get what's called your pants license, and she's been given her pants license and is now eligible to mate. I also find it odd that in all these instances throughout the film, we never see Christian react negatively to anything about Maya. Um, He doesn't really react at all, but he's never like, oh, like, no thank you, or oh, like if I've done something to make her feel like that, he just kind of, oh, okay. And even in the scene where Siv tells Christian that Maya wants to have a baby with him, we don't see how that conversation ends, but it doesn't seem as though Christian said, no, I don't want to participate in that. So they're talking about this love ruin and Pele was explaining the pants license thing. We hear someone in the community start screaming and we see this man run over to the tree that's been like knocked over essentially. And this man is very upset because Mark is peeing on this tree. And we find out that this is a sacred ancestral tree that Mark has essentially defaced. The Horka get very upset with him. He doesn't understand what's going on. They're yelling at him in Swedish and Pele is trying to get him out of the situation. Um, and it's getting intense. It's one of the more intense scenes. We don't really see much from the Horga getting upset or angry, but this man is looks like he wants to rip Mark limb from limb after what he did to the tree. This is one of the few times that we get the Swedish translation, and the man says quite a couple times, put your disgusting little dick away. He says it like five or six times, I think. Pelle explains that the tree is tied to all of the dead, and Mark's like an ass. He's like, well, I, don't, I didn't know. It's not my fault. I didn't know, and he has no sympathy for what he did. We cut away from the scene to see Connie walking into the sleep building to collect all of her and Simon's things. Danny's in there and says hi to Connie, and Connie's like, hey, it was really nice to meet you, but like, we are leaving. I'm sorry, but we're going. And Danny's like, oh, oh, okay, like, that's fine. And then Father Odd comes up and calls for Connie. She comes out, and she's got her, and I'm assuming Simon's bags. And Father Odd tells her that Simon is being driven to the station without her, because there's only room for two people in the truck, and John is one of the Horka members who's driving Simon. We'll come back and get Connie after he drops Simon off. And Connie's like, that doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't just leave me. He wouldn't leave without telling me. And Father Odd's like, well, the only train leaves today in 90 minutes and it takes 40 minutes to get there and 40 minutes to get back. So they didn't want to waste any time. And Connie's like, well, I could have just sat on his lap. Like we could have done something like that. I Like he wouldn't just leave without me. And Father Odd's like, well, we don't like to break traffic laws. And Connie's like, very rightfully pissed because her fiance supposedly just left her in the middle of nowhere. She has no idea what's going on. She's like, well, this is just great. And we see Connie collect her and Simon's bags and stomp away, essentially. Father Odd looks at Danny and just says, lunch is in a bit, and walks away like it's no big deal. But And it doesn't seem like anybody tries to comfort Connie or anything. I think Danny wants to, but maybe isn't sure where she ends up walking off to. All right. And with that, I think that we're going to wrap up here. I have probably at least another hour of recording. So instead of having this be a three hour long episode, let's just stick to two parts. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope that you will listen next week. I won't make you guys wait two weeks, even though we're on week four of my four weeks on two weeks off. Since I didn't put prom night up, this is kind of perfect and this will go up um, next week if you're listening to it when it comes out. So it won't be too long. I'll have that all ready to go for you. Hopefully you will join me for the crazy climax 
that is Midsommar, which is pretty much like the last 40 minutes of the film. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, I have the podcast on Instagram and Twitter under M Murder Movies. So that's M as in Massacre Murder Movies on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you have a lovely week or weekend whenever you're listening to this. And don't forget to check out part two next week when it's posted. Remember to stay safe and stay spooky.